Go ahead. Ask me why it's sea turtle. Ask me. It's fine. I'll answer. This is Beers with Hallows. Threats, Beers, and also Bliss. Welcome back. This is episode 51 of the Beers with Talos podcast. We have been missing a couple people for a couple episodes, but today we have everybody back. Craig, Joel, Matt, and Nigel are all here, but we want to start off today like we start off every day, and that's going around the table and getting a quick word from everybody. Yeah. What's on your mind? You know, actually, I, I want to start off today. Mm-hmm. I, I want to play a quick game. Uh-oh. Rock, I want to play... Scissors. Last time you did this, it got pretty inappropriate pretty quickly. <laughs> Guess why Mitch was in the emergency room last oh, night? Oh, this is a good game. All right. Oh, I like this God. Game. Uh, I think Nigel should go first. Guess, Nigel. I'm guessing why Mitchell... Why was Mitch in the emergency room? Why was Mitchell in the emergency room? Let me think now. Yeah. There's a number of reasons why this might be. Um I, I'm not going to go with my first guess, which would involve hamsters and things like that, and you know, because <laughs> because you know we're a bit of a bit more family oriented right. these days, right? But um, I think Mitchell once again was trying to be a uh, you know his usual I'm a 40 year old dad, but I'm really a hipster kind of a guy, and I want to show off my skills <laughs> at something really dumb. <laughs> And, and, you know, no doubt fell over, <laughs> broke his ankle or something like that, and ended up wailing and crying. And his good wife, the ever-loving wife, though, took him to the emergency room once again to have him patched up. Is that right, Mitchell? <laughs> See, now, I was pretty certain that he was trying to explain to his wife something stupid Craig ah. had done, and in reenacting <laughs> that, had injured yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also possible. Could have been going for some chick filler. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I am noticing his fingers uh-huh. seem okay, so I think it's got to be <laughs> ankle oriented. Yeah. I was gonna, right? I was gonna go with something Again. like an itching cream and some type of fungus, <laughs> but I, I mean, you don't go to the emergency room. Yeah. For oh, fungus. You don't go to the emergency room for fungus. <laughs> you haven't had Joel fungus, apparently. That's right. <laughs> I have not had Joel fungus. <laughs> so, so. What had happened was... Oh, here we uh, go. Yeah, yeah. That's when you know it's good. Oh, the justification. Last night, uh, yesterday afternoon... Wait, I, wait, wait, wait. Is there a news article where you're the Florida man? <laughs> Florida man. Oh. Yeah. No, no. Damn there wasn't it. enough other people involved in this, sadly. All right. I mean, if there had been witnesses, So perhaps, no one's but, face got chewed off. All right, we're good. Go ahead. So I, I yesterday afternoon, realized that I had not taken my uh, multivitamin and, and my allergy pill today. <laughs> That's what you went to the So hold on. Um, hold on. I'm lacking <laughs> my multivitamins. Oh. So I went and I so took I set a, the a, down the counter. a multivitamin uh, and uh, a B-complex and a, uh, and, a, and a nasal decongestant. And irony of all ironies... I was going to take these pills, and one of them didn't want to go down. Oh, so you fell, it wanted to go so you fell on the floor? Oh. So you fell on the floor and you tripped over it? That one? No? No, no, oh. no, no, no. It decided to go up, lodge itself in my nasopharynx general area, and firmly implant itself in my sinus cavity. So you got a multivitamin stuck that up your nose. That takes a special amount of stupid yep. skill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm with Joel here. <laughs> Is this is this where he was like? I was seeing if I could snort my vitamin. Yeah. And my wife caught me. No, so. that would be better. That would make more yeah, that sense. Would make sense. That yeah. would make a lot more sense. But, but no, he's like, I tried to swallow a pill and it got stuck in my nose. <laughs> I, tried I tried to swallow, swallow a nasal. Oh, wait, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. To do a fucking how do you? I tried to swallow a nasal decongestant <laughs> that became. How do you swallow lodged. pills? I I have been no. doing this properly you know for forty you years now. Craig has I don't know what happened. Craig has a relevant question. I don't know. What I mean, happened? This guy might call. You know, he could be huffing pills and think that's swallowing. Let's cover the basics here. I, mean, I don't. I'm not quite sure. I mean, why, I'm pretty sure I've been doing wow. this right for 40 I'm years. Not, I don't think so. And this is never wrong. happened. To I me. mean, I'm not, not. I'm not really sure why your wife didn't just punch you in that giant nose of yours and smash the pill to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I'm after shocked. the last dirt bike wreck, we had to pay too much for this one. That's so a she cordial <laughs> thump on your nose. It would have been worth it, honestly, from where oh, I'm sitting. Jesus. I mean, if you wouldn't, if you just waited, wouldn't it have just dissolved yeah. and done what was yeah. supposed to do? Uh, well, I mean, there's still. I mean, a it was good, already in yeah, your nose, right? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, apparently that's the thing. But like the guy's like, you know, this can take like five days to break down inside your nasal cavity. Are you ready to deal with that? <laughs> well, head on directly wah, wah, to the wah. nasal cavity. <laughs> now, that being said, I have run more neti pots through my nose in the last 24 hours than most households probably do annually. Oh, I mean, most households Correct. don't. So, so yes. Yeah. Oh, that's not, is that a hipster thing? Yeah. yeah I very much so. Oh, 100%. That and my brother, really? apparently, who's not hipster. Oh, no, oh, your you brother gotta, is hipster. You got to get the gunk out. Sure. I mean, if you're, you know, got a cold or whatever. Anyway. I mean, I lit- Hey, you know what? <laughs> I have a box of Kleenexes. <laughs> and they work really well. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. no. Yeah. I'm not even close yeah. to the same thing. You got to use Barbarian. the Barbarian. Yes. <laughs> Philistine. Nigel. <laughs> What is on your mind this week? All right, so Sunday is uh, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it is. Which is, I think, the last of the top yeah, six teams that we have to play this season, and then we're on the run in. We are Not on the run in to the end of the season. Out by Sunday, but you know, and you know, why would I do that? Yeah, it's going to be fantastic because we'll be obviously running forward, victorious and glorious. We beat uh, Porto in the week, and we got Porto again next week in the Champions League, and uh, you know. It's everything. Everything's looking good, Mitchell. It's looking fantastic. The only thing that's not—it's all on the up yeah. The only up. thing that's not looking good at the moment are these idiots who keep trying to sell uh, like guitars on Craigslist that have me all wound up because they. This idiot here. I'll tell you one right now. I'm looking at one right now. Stupid person. One, he wants. He's asking way too much money for it. Two, he's like, all right, it's got. It's got Grover tuners on it, and I'm looking at a picture of the headstock, and it's actually got Spurs locking tuners on it. Um, <laughs> and then he's telling me that the uh, that the he's got two humbuckers on this thing. Uh, apparently, there's an 8.1 kilo ohm in the neck and a 13.1 kilo ohm uh, <laughs> humbucker in the bridge position. Which, if you know anything just a little bit about guitars, is absolutely wrong. Complete and utter lie. Stop it. And then he goes on to say that modifications on this guitar, apparently none. Well, I mean, there's two for a start, right? I don't know what, I, I, I just, I just don't get it. Do people just think like they can put anything down in these, in these little ads on Craigslist for their stuff and then think that they're going to charge you probably, oh, about 500 bucks more than the thing's actually worth. Just because they think that they need to get, you know, $2,000 for this particular guitar. I, I just, you know. Right. So clearly what we need is another podcast where we just review Craigslist ads. We should, oh, yeah. I, I've seen so many of them recently. <laughs> that could be a whole podcast, it's, let's be real. It's been nuts. Like the past, like, two weeks have been crazy for this shit, you know, because I get, I have something that, that looks at Craigslist and then emails me when something <laughs> interesting comes up, right? So that's why I end up looking at these things all the time. I would I would love to see your filter of what's interesting <laughs> off of Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, it's what all, your scraping it's, bot look it's like? all stuff for for guitars is your scraping bot a felony no. <laughs> <laughs> nobody oh, could boy. be uh, joel yeah what is on your mind this week Dude, it's I'm been back. a minute since you uh, checked in matt and i are back i'm excited about it everyone else is excited about it you you missed episode 50 by force when you say excited, excited you mean you know you, you love it, you old you grumpy ass. That's right. When I'm not here, <laughs> yes, you're no, sad. I get very disappointed. That's right. Now, my last month was spent on the road, and so uh, I am not on the road anymore. I'm back, and I'm excited. Nigel's here. Matt's here. Craig's here. Matt Mitch is here. Man, we're let's rock this joint. Fantastic, Craig. What is on your mind? What's been going on since we last checked in, brother? Dude, this has been a busy week. Has We've got it? so much cool shit research-wise <laughs> up in the air. Like, we just don't have enough time to publish it all. Oh, my God. Like, we're queuing stuff out for a while. Good. Good times. Oh, we, we released some blog posts since Did we last we? talked? Huh. I can't say notice. You know what? A couple. A couple. Matt, coming back around, kind of closing off with you today. Let's talk about Dungeons and & Dragons and machine learning. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> And now, what we've all come here for. <laughs> so listen, so we've talked about we've talked about uh, a show uh, that's on Twitch and it's on YouTube uh, in the past called Critical Role. Um, it is a weekly Dungeons and Dragons game um, run and played by professional voice actors. Uh, it's been running about two and a half years. It's wildly popular. Um, 
For those of you not in the know, there's been a massive resurgence in the popularity of Dungeons and Dragons in the last few years since the release of 5th edition, mainly because 4th edition sucked, and also because now there's Twitch, so you can watch pretty people with nice voices play Dungeons and Dragons and imagine that you could do that. None of which um, on this podcast. Yeah, none of that happens here, <laughs> but... But so no, no, they've Joel, been going for they a while. Can't see us. Tell them we're all beautiful. Oh, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so, um, so they've been going for a while, and they decided to do a Kickstarter to build a, a animated cartoon of their show, and they have raised ten million dollars. What? What? <laughs> they have a hundred percent. How raised much does it cost? Ten to million make a dollars, cartoon? like fifty bucks or something. Oh, it's million expensive, dollars, Nigel. It's, it's expensive. Super expensive. Really? It's actually super <laughs> oh. expensive. Yeah. So, so I don't know what they're doing with the. Ex- Listen, they have extra money. <laughs> they? they had said that their their top goal was something like eight point eight million dollars, and that would get them. 10 episodes. Wow. Like, and this is like a professional real animation studio, special effects, paying the voice actors, all that other stuff. So they were excited. So the fan community was trying to figure out what the stretch goal would be for $10 million. Cause they had reached their max goal, but for some reason people kept giving them money. And so on Twitter, they had decided that you would just type in if the critical role Kickstarter reaches $10 million, their next stretch goal is. And then you just let predictive text of what you would say okay. next go through. <laughs> all right. right. This is not going to go bad. So, so this is all about how well whatever these predictive text solutions know the person that they're talking about. And, and they're, they're, some of them are like, just don't make any sense. But the one that caught my eye and, and the one that I will be thinking about a lot as, you know, over the next few years as we look at machine learning solutions becoming more important in the world is this guy. His name's Eric. He's at the Eric Experience uh, on Twitter. The Eric Experience. Yeah, it's he's, a good he's, he's got That's a quality a name. So he says, if the critical role Kickstarter reaches $10 million, their next stretch goal is a little more than one third of their total sales revenue for the next three months. And the next person replied back with, dude, you need a vacation. And his response was, I don't even know what happened. I work in IT. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, this is everything wrong with relying on machine learning systems to define how companies interface with consumers. And it's just, it is uh, burned into my memory. It is the second biggest tweet that I think about besides Joel yelling at a at a a fake security Twitter account that picked on Apple. Okay, wait, so. no, now back up to this one because I don't remember my tweets three seconds after I read them. <laughs> what are you talking about? So hold on a second. That means Joel doesn't know he was yelling at a bot. Yeah, I mean Something that's like that. fair. <laughs> I mean. Swift on security is fairly well known. Like, oh, there's okay. an actual okay. person yeah. behind yeah, there's, it, there's right? A person or persons behind that. But it is it is it is a super informative, often accurate, but parody security account. And basically, the the person behind it had put breaking scientists release first known picture of massive money hole, and it's essentially a picture of the Apple <laughs> website. And the first first response I saw was just Joel going boo. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. All right. No, God. I bet that tweet actually hit a filter he has set up for any breaking oh, Apple news. Oh, you know it did. <laughs> the sad part is I wish I had a filter like that, but my I just, that's literally what I skimmed Twitter for. It's sad. Dude, he just senses it. He just knows. Somewhere there's a disturbance in the force. A disturbance in the Apple version support. So before we before we get too far into things today, Craig, you had already mentioned uh, just a bit earlier to show that your team has been working on a ton of stuff lately. Uh, just looking at the blog right now, we have some updates on some of the work we've done with uh, sextortion schemes. Uh, it looks like Goose Stuff. A, a new banking Trojan targeting Australia, and what else have you guys? Yeah, got dude, going it's on? goose stuff. <laughs> uh, so I, I did want to talk about this one briefly before we dive down the sextortion path because I think some of it is really interesting. Um, basically, what we found was a an Android banking Trojan, but unlike a lot of the banking Trojans, this one primarily spread over SMS. So you know, like think about 
how you can detect that from a detection standpoint, that actually makes it quite a bit harder. You know, if we look at Apple products, for example, with iMessage, they're a lot more resistant to this because in order to send, you know, malicious SMSs, you have to have an iMessage account, which has to be associated with an Apple ID. And so Android, unfortunately, hasn't really moved there yet. And so they're a lot more vulnerable to this. And so what would happen is you get infected with this and the malware then, you know, looks at your contacts and then starts sending out spam to your friends under like the message of a uh, Christina Morrow shared an album with you. And then of course, right. That's Who's Christina really Morrow. An album. It's a copy of yeah, malicious application. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, she's a super famous Australian spam this week. Uh, it's been going out all over the country. Oh, yeah. okay. It's, you know, if you look at the, the DNS queries for the domain, it's actually pretty solid right around 10, 15 an hour. So it's not, super fast. It's actually kind of more low and slow and steady, which I think, you know, for a, a C2 distribution mechanism, it's pretty advantageous to do it that way, right? It doesn't light it up across the radar and it makes it a lot harder to detect just from a, you know, I'm watching the stuff standpoint. Uh, but really what I thought was super cool was the the fact that this is basically a kit. And so right now, we're really only seeing it target Australian banks, right? Very specific ones in Australia. And um, when we look at the actual packages, there's actually a lot more listed and a lot more that it's looking for. So it's very likely that we're going to see this extend towards U.S. banks and quite a few other places. So we also saw an interesting update from Microsoft this week. It looked like there was a a heavy bunch of patching going on there. Um, But probably more interesting is some of the the updates that your team did, Craig, on uh, the sextortion posts that have come out uh, probably over the last, how long has that been, three or four months? Yeah, well, the interesting part on this was the fact that, you know, they're sending more sextortion spams but they're actually making less money. Uh, what they started doing, and I guess this is because most companies had improved detection, is including encrypted pieces. So like not everything's out in the actual email itself. You've got to actually extract a little bit of it, and then you can actually see more of the message in the wallets. And so they're basically getting smarter with it, right? They're getting smarter with the uh, social engineering aspect. They're you know making people open up a file to get some of the information. So it's just, you know, a continued evolution of a known threat that hilariously is making less money now than it was before. I thought which, you know, uh, that was pretty interesting, that last part you said, uh, with like the proof and, and, and the things like that, that they were like trying to apparently open like child revenue streams. Like, that, like, well, they might not go for the whole thing, but let's see if we can still get 40 bucks out of them. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I think what's really funny here, though, is the fact that unlike most malware campaigns, you know, when you see people put money into evasion and, right, they develop new techniques to evade security devices, generally that makes it more effective, which results in a higher revenue. And in this specific case, we saw that the actual opposite happened, which is always funny. Well, keep in mind, these guys, these guys aren't like, like, up as a regular thing of theirs. <laughs> right? Like, these are the same guys who was like, hey, we've got this sexortion scam thing. It's going great. We're making 150 k a year. I know. Let's try bomb threats. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we've seen before, they don't really think it through. Um, and so I think, you know, little stumbles on the road are always funny for us third parties. Before we before we transition, um, I want to kind of give a little background to, to set this up a little bit. Uh, so... Maybe Nigel, Craig, uh, I don't know who kind of wants to to lead off on this, but I wanted to talk real quick about DNS in general and some of the DNS activity that we've seen uh, lately in the landscape and exactly how these kind of attacks work is, is kind of a primer to what we want to talk about uh, here in a second. Craig, why don't you start us off, and, or, or Matt as well, and uh, you know some of the, what are we seeing in DNS attacks recently and what's new and different? What I will do is is kind of preface this conversation um, with with kind of a broader view of what what we're concerned about, and then what I'll do is I'll let I'll let Craig um, kind of frame out the details because uh, really they they you know Craig's team along with 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 my team together work very closely on this. Um, this 
this research, so starting way back, you know, when we first talked about DNS espionage, and this is this is a uh, not the same as DNS espionage, but is is something that's kind of related in terms of of how we got here. All, all related to DNS attacks, and this sequence of research has led me to actually have to apologize to um, our friend Eric at Government Affairs because he had presented this idea to me uh, for consideration about a year ago about you know uh, country behavioral norms and what is allowed in 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 cyber attacks and what is not, and I've always thought that kind of silly like you can't tell people what's allowed in cyber attacks you're just gonna do whatever they want but what we're seeing right now is attacks they're not targeting like the core bottom of dns the 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 root servers or things but that are digging very very deeply into the dns system that are affecting services and organizations that supply dns services to entire countries and once you start undermining DNS. There's nothing that happens on the internet without DNS. Nothing. Every time you get a stock quote, every time you check an election result, every time you get an email, every time you log into something, many, many different DNS queries are going on. And if we lose the ability to have faith in those, it's going to dramatically alter what we can and can't do on the internet. And so what we're going to be describing today is some technical details, but what I would say more broadly is Countries need to be very careful about what they do and what they choose to start establishing as okay to do online because there are things that underpin how all this nonsense that we do works. And if you start dicking with it, all the nonsense falls apart. And so I would just encourage countries, leaders, decision makers to be very thoughtful and careful about what they're doing. And so I guess I'll hand it to Craig to kind of describe the technical specifics of what we're looking at. Yeah, thanks, guys. So we're naming this campaign Sea Turtle. So Sea Turtle was really a campaign that started using DNS hijacking, and that's really what caught us onto it. Now, a lot of our competitors saw little pieces of this when they were looking for DNS espionage, and they thought it was DNS espionage. And, you know, I, we completely understand that. You know, if I had to try and put it in perspective for the rest of the people, you know, imagine you're colorblind and you see a whole bunch of cars that look the same, right? Of course, you're going to say, hey, that looks like the same car. Well, you know, we get it, but when you can see in color, you can tell that, hey, those cars are similar, but there are some really distinct differences, and that's what we saw with Sea Turtle. You know, I, I think for me, the main difference with Sea Turtle and actors like Dean Espionage is the fact that Sea Turtle is really playing in a different ballpark, right? They are being incredibly evasive on purpose. They're trying to not let the victim know they've been targeted by going through third-party sites to get access. And unfortunately, they're really taking advantage of the global DNS system. I mean, DNS is really a foundational technology that supports the Internet. You know, manipulating this is going to undermine the trust people have in the Internet, and that can really affect the global economy. And so I think when it comes down to the Talos perspective on this, we've really got to get nations in line. We've got to be responsible about this. Attacking fundamental features of the Internet is bad for the global economy, it's bad for the users of the internet, and it's got to stop. You know, we can't have people wiping entire cities. We can't have people attacking fundamental parts of the internet. And so that's how we got onto this, right? And so to give you a bit of an idea how this works is effectively the Sea Turtle campaign, we really broke it down into an 11-step process. And so the very first one was what you would expect, right? The attackers would figure out, you know, I've got to gain entry into this point. Now, what's going to surprise you is obviously most people are going to think, oh, the first entry point must be the victim. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. The sea turtle attackers were more advanced than what we typically see. The sea turtle attackers did not want their victim to know they were being targeted. And so when it came down to figuring out ways to target them, they would really go about it a roundabout way. And this would be like going through a NetNod or a CCTLD. And what they would initially do is figure out a way to gain access to that registrar, right? And so we listed a number of CVEs in the blog post. Uh, we know that they use those. Those were public exploits lifted out of sites like ExploitDB. Uh, and they would try to combine that with things like spear phishing 
or sorry, in addition to spearfishing and gain that initial foothold. Once they got that foothold, they would begin to harvest the credentials of the third party. So in the case of a registrar, they would look for fo- uh, credentials of people who dealt with those domains. Sorry, I'm trying to not pop the mic. Um, once they had the credentials for people involved with that domain, they could then exfiltrate that data and exfiltrate anything else they wanted. So I want to take a minute here and point this out. You know, the sea turtle attackers compromised registrars. Think about that. This is the first time we were aware of complete registrar compromises. They could have done a lot of damage. They could have impacted DNS for entire global regions, but they didn't. They had very specific motives. They had very specific things that they wanted to carry out. And so once they got these credentials and exfiltrated them, they would then go to the registrar and use that to basically point it at their name server. Uh, They would use uh, EPP to change the direction and point it at their controlled name server. So again, several massive differences from DNS espionage, right? DNS espionage, they attacked the user's name server. This one, they've got their own. They've got it ready to go. It's pointing at their server, their man-in-the-middle server, which is, looks identical. It's got a signed cert from, you know, Let's Encrypt or one of those companies. And as soon as they started getting credentials in, when the redirection went in place, they would go to the actual victim, log in, steal the real credentials, and then put those on their servers. Now, you may ask yourself, wow, that is a lot of trouble. Why would they do that? Well, you know, that can defeat certificate pinning. That can defeat really, really clever users who think they're security savvy and they're going to check it. So very advanced, very complex. And basically, when you look at it at a high level, it's clearly just built for espionage purposes. Right. A lot of people wonder, well, what on earth did they want? Well, they wanted they wanted secrets. They wanted secrets about their primary targets. They wanted to be able to monitor their primary targets and they wanted to be able to maintain access to their primary targets. And by setting up this redirection campaign for even short periods of time, they were able to gather enough credentials to do just that. Well, let's let's try and put it in perspective for the layperson, right? I think, you know, when we talk about registries, I think a lot of people really don't get it. You know, like like let's think about all the conveniences we have now that we don't have we didn't have previously thanks to the internet and thanks to things like DNS, right? Like you can log into your works VPN, you can get money, you can exchange things online, you can update switches, routers and everything online. But the fundamental thing that all has in common and it all relies on is that your DNS lookup is correct and successful. People can actually influence that lookup, change where it was pointing, and there's really nothing the user can see that makes it obvious that that happened. Right, and, mo- and more importantly, nothing in between there, which is what, what this particular attack that you're describing was, where you eventually got where you were expecting to go. But in between, someone was intercepting your traffic, grabbing all your credentials, and doing whatever else they want to do before passing you back onto legitimate service. Which is pretty scary stuff. There's a whole new level of worry there over just like commercial threat or you know, your typical personal information that would be available. Typically, when you see nation state actors, and I think it's safe to say every, really every nation state threat up until this point, when you catch them red handed, they kind of like back off and run away. Um, In this case, we're seeing very aggressive attacks against registrars and registries. And when the public had a little bit of the information, they didn't stop. You know, so I don't I don't know what the next level of escalation is here. And I think that's kind of what Matt was getting to earlier was that, you know, these kind of things are not going to be tolerated indefinitely. Countries are going to have to find some behavior to influence the people behind this to stop. And, you know, where does that end? What road are we on? Right. It doesn't it doesn't end. It just keeps on going down straight downhill. That's where it goes. Well, what's their what's their what's their impetus to stop now? I mean, I mean right. how is that going to change? I mean, if you're not dealing with a with a you know actual government organization, it's hard to influence that diplomatically, right? I mean, it's definitely more difficult. And if you're not, you know, it's they're shadow groups; they're hard to catch. It's hard to. All right. Well, I mean, but that so, but that's not the case here. 
that's not the case here. This is this is a state sponsored organization that's doing this. This is this is not a uh, a unmanaged group of you know hackers in their mom's basement. These 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 are you know these are activities designed to address one country's intelligence needs, and they are using this methodology to do it. Um, and so these are these are decisions made by by nations and so these these decisions should be questioned and there should be discussions about what in the course of with accepting what people say is well there's been in, you know intelligence activities for all time and that's absolutely true but there there should be questions about what is and is permissible in the in the course of pursuing these these agendas in the face of the risks that you potentially face in terms of reduced trust or stability in the system that essentially runs the planet right now. And I don't, and I'm not pretending that I know the answer. Like that's not what I'm saying. I know that there are a number of organizations um there's uh, and I may get some of these wrong. Uh, there's the Cyber Peace Initiative. There's uh, a an effort out of Microsoft that actually addresses specific uh, cybersecurity norms and what should and should not be allowed. Um, trying to get countries to at least come together and talk about what they will and will won't do, um, you know, in non-wartime activities. And so there's there's not been any movement on this. I'm not sure that there's a lot of faith that this is even possible. But uh, if if these discussions, you know, aren't put forth, and if these organizations aren't challenged, you know, how are we how are we going to to work together to try try to frame out some kind of of safety for for the internet? The individual activities that this 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 set of, of actors are doing is not, a, you know, we're not saying the thing, the specific things they are doing are going to cause, the internet's not going to fall over in, in any what they're doing. It's about targeting that piece broadly, like a whole bunch of different ways. You know, you don't want state actors going after root servers or registries or, you know, changing, you know, stuff. If you control, like if you were able to do the same attack that we're talking about with the level of control that they have on these, on these t- country top level domains, but you were instead successful in obtaining the access necessary to do it in .com, the things that you could do, there's, I can't even come up with a nearly coherent, complete list of what you do, but you could be Microsoft when you wanted to and deliver what you said was the Microsoft update this month. You could, you could be E-Trade and you could say, well, hey, this stock has fallen, triggering sales. You could, I mean, there's, there's nothing that happens you know, that doesn't involve someone saying, where does this server live? And that question is answered by the DNS server. And when you're giving that the wrong answer, suddenly we have to question all the things that we're doing that's happening, you know, globally. And it's, it's not a, it's, it's, it's a line that should at least be challenged is what I'm saying. I think for me, the, the big, you know, ugly monster in the corner is the fact that because these actors were so successful, even if these are disciplined actors, and even if we are seeing them really only go after strategic targets by compromising civilian targets, other people are going to see this campaign's success, and other people are going to try and recreate this in other areas. And that's what's really concerning me, right? I don't know if they'll be able to compromise .com in a similar way. I don't know if they'll be able to compromise .org in a similar way. But I'm going to guess somebody's going to find something, right? And so when these attackers come out and they perform these advanced campaigns and these, you know, have these clever techniques of taking over these different types of things on the internet, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a bigger problem because it's really putting a blueprint out there that other attackers are going to follow. And I think we can all agree, if there's one thing we've seen when it comes to bad behavior on the internet, you know, as soon as a bad guy figures out something that's successful and something that's hard to detect, well, other bad guys are going to go, hey, I should do that. I mean, yeah, Brad Arkin at Adobe made a career out of, you know, just taking Adobe from when blood got in the water and everybody said, hey, maybe we should start attacking client side stuff. And for the next 15 years, that's what, you know, Adobe and Microsoft and others have dealt with. And so once once these attacks are demonstrated as successful, once these paths are, are shown to be viable, it, it, it filters down to 
to less easily managed um, operations. So is there anything our users or the listeners can do to protect themselves from this? No. Okay. Right? Depending on how you define a listener. <laughs> the world? <laughs> well, then no. <laughs> you know, really, there's not a great way to defend against it right now. You know, I think the best way to defend against it would be a layered defense, right? Use a trusted DNS provider, maybe one that has some intelligence in the back end to try and detect these type of attacks. You know, something like OpenDNS isn't bad. But the reality is that the DNS system in general, it depends on trust, right? I mean, certificates provide validity, not integrity. And so when people can actually steal them, that's problematic. And I, I think the best way to do it is to actually count on your domain to provide that, right? If we look at most registrars, right, like let's look at .com with VeriSign. They provide what's called a registry lock. Well, you can turn on your registry lock and that will force them to have an out-of-band communication with you to try and fix this. Now, is it perfect? Maybe not, right? Let's assume, no, there's probably some that have interfaces built in through like cPanel where you can go click through. And well, that's not super secure, but it's better than nothing. And so if we combine that with stuff like two-factor authentication through Duo or some authenticator app, it's better than nothing. And I think we have to depend on adding these layers of security so that as people find new ways to redirect DNS or new ways to poison the DNS cache, right? Shout out, Dan. Uh, we can, you know, have these layers of defenses that will help us. You know, and I, I think the other part about this is let's look at how they got the initial access, right? The initial access wasn't through zero days. The initial access was through spear phishing and known public exploits off sites like ExploitDB. So you've really got to patch your gear, right? And if you can't patch your gear, come up with a remediation technique, right? Come up with something, maybe it's an IPS or whatever, or have the box restricted by IP or something or segregated through segmentation, but have a remediation plan in place so that this can't happen. And, you know, finally, I think the last point is to basically make sure your users are educated, right? Even if you have everything patched, even if you have good segmentation, users who make poor decisions are always going to put you at risk. And so you've got to make sure that they understand what threats on the internet look like. You've got to understand what threats on the internet, how they work. And so really it's a number of things that you have to do and you've got to be careful out there. And, you know, I know I understand it's a little worse than I make out because there are TLDs and CCTLDs that don't allow you to use a registry lock. And I would argue if you're one of those or if you have a domain on one of those, you absolutely need to use two-factor authentication. It shouldn't be optional. It should just be something that has to happen because this type of attack is not going away, particularly after we've seen it be so successful. We've got two nation state actors doing similar activities, and we know all the other bad guys are going to see that success and be like, hey, I'd like to try that. On a serious note, if this sounds familiar to anybody and you're like, why the hell do I know what that is? Uh, let me take you back to 2008 with the, uh, the great Dan Kaminsky DNS cash poisoning panic. Um, believe it or not, back then, this was discussed as a mitigation system for exactly a similar attack where the server gives back the wrong answer, either due to DNS cache poisoning or a bad guy tampering with it. Um, so if you've heard of that, that may be where you've heard of it. You know, I would urge most sites to go ahead and implement that. There's really not a downside, especially if you're a really huge website. Well, didn't we didn't we talk about a lot of these same concerns when we talked a while back about BGP attacks? And didn't we talk a lot about a lot about we had yeah. a lot of these same concerns with, yeah. with BGP attacks? I mean, there's well, and and let's be that's that's a good point. And, and and I've had a discussion actually with Verisign about this, um, and they kind of pushed back on the on exactly what you're talking about. BGP and DNS both bad, awful. And so we were talking about different points. The trust model in BGP is different than the trust model in DNS. There's it's it's more hierarchical in DNS. It's more peer to peer in BGP. There's not a lot of controls. On, on the BGP side. DNS is well orchestrated by known companies, known entities. It's a different space. Where they are the same is if they are compromised, however that happens, it's game over. Yeah, your targets, if, if you compromise BGP or DNS, 
the target of the attack, whether that's the destination organization or the user, basically has no means by which to confirm that they are correctly attaching to the to the right server. And 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 so and there are, you know, for people who come back with like search and everything else, there are ways to get around those issues, particularly if you control the DNS name. And so so we're not beating the, the thing that we're talking about here is not we found this thing and this thing is thermonuclear grade awful and we should all talk and publish about it. That's not what we're saying. We're saying this thing is technically interesting. It shows a new attack methodology. Um, it is interesting in, in who it's targeting and stuff like that. What we're saying is given our however many years of experience in security and the way that we see things proceed once you have this kind of new foothold in terms of attacks, when we look forward, we're concerned about what the potential is if DNS becomes a valid battleground between highly sophisticated actors and what the the options are for protections and what the potential impact is globally in terms of stability and trust in the internet. And that's that's it. And so I want to separate our findings, which are interesting and worthy of note, from our concerns, because because I don't want to be accused of like hyping this thing up because it, it, it simply is what it is. We're really talking about down the road, maybe we should have a chat about whether this is okay or yeah, not. Yeah, and that was kind of my, my concern. I was sitting here kind of listening and I, I just, that's kind of why, why I prompt, prompted myself to say, you know, is this something that we could defend ourselves from and what can our customers take away from this? Because this is, you know, we're sitting here talking about research, but, you know, is this something that is a practical takeaway that we can give to the listeners so that they can do something Two factors about important, it, and that was, that was certainly DHS's guidance. Look, this is not a... This is not a, a call for everybody to panic, right? This this is a this is a call for everybody to like kind of come together and have a chat, which is different. And well, so, I mean, the, the the effects of the attack are pretty profound. But to your 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 point, Matt, um, there was interesting. We we see this a lot with these state actors. Like, what did what's, what's their attack methodology? They used uh, an interesting list, or maybe it's not interesting, a uh, list of CVEs to gain initial access, right? Like this wasn't like they were they figured out some new and novel way to nope. to make this happen. Yeah, to the best of our knowledge, they used either traditional spear phishing techniques or and, and I think what I would what I would describe it is a list of CVEs that makes me think that they are capable of finding known exploits and using them if they need to. Like I don't think they they were like, these are my list of CVEs I can use. They would like go for a while, run into something, they're like, oh hey, that's a that's a PHP server. I've got a volume for that. Boop. And you know, kind of goes into their, their list of <laughs> so, things they can do. So in true Beers with Talos fashion, all the things that you were worried about prior to this threat being publicized Absolutely. are still <laughs> the things you need to be worried about. Absolutely. Hundred percent, with the exception of that, I would I would agree with that if registry locks available to you, you should turn it on. Um, and uh, but beyond that, um, you know, go patch your shit. You know, I, I think it, it's easy for us to say this because we're all operating in a country that hasn't been targeted. That we primarily use registrars that weren't targeted. Uh, yeah, good footnote. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's much more concerning if you're in the regions where we know these things are being hijacked. So I, I think that's a valid concern, right? While a lot of us can sit back and say, hey, I still feel pretty comfortable using the Internet. If I'm in one of these Middle Eastern countries or if I use one of these Middle Eastern registrars for, say, my business or to pay bills or whatever, you need to be careful, right? You need to probably be a good idea to start changing your passwords, ensuring that they're all different, making sure that you rotate them periodically, you know, uh, because unfortunately, until these countries find a way to play well on the Internet with each other, it's going to be difficult. I mean, hey, once again, for the specific attack methodology that we've talked about for this actor, two-factor authentication fixes this, right? Um, you know, assuming that their only goal is to steal steal credentials and then log in with those credentials. Mitch, can you put in a duo sound effect there? Do they like, have a sound effect? Have, Wait, can we get Wendy? Like can we get Wendy just to like have like a special like Wendy like catchphrase that we can just use every time we say two-factor authentication? Yeah, hold on, I have it right Buy here. On this button. You ready? No. Okay. Okay. There you go. There's <laughs> you know what? That's not nice. Mitchell, I mean, I'm assuming, of course, that you're. Reach out to Wendy. Get ourselves. Get us a Wendy soundboard. <laughs> I mean, as long as your two factor authentication isn't sending you text messages that you can also receive on your laptop that you're just trying to two factor off from, sure. Right. No, bullshit. I disagree. 
I disagree. I hate that. I hate that. Be aware of what your threat model is. Absolutely. There are things where SMS to a factor is a problem. But I'm telling you, world, a world where every login had SMS to factor authentication would be a safer world than we have right now. That's, that's a fair, as you say, that's, I've already moved, where you're going. But I've already moved on from two factor auth. I've gone to like three factor now. <laughs> he has to physically mail a piece of his skin in. <laughs> yeah. I'm using three factor over IPv7. Oh, so. nice. Oh. He has to log in, give a password, and then insult the computer hard enough that it knows it's right. <laughs> oh, that must be you. Oh, okay. No, no. The third factor is the headbutt. Like, it's got oh, oh, the, the old Liverpool yeah, head there stomp. We go. The Kirby kiss. <laughs> the Kirby kiss. What else uh, haven't we mentioned yet uh, about Sea Turtle that we we need to be aware of or we want to kind of let people know about? I don't care if if you are Rob Joyce himself. If you are not looking specifically for this (laughs) issue when you're doing your work, you would never know what was happening. Absolutely. There's no indication. There's no there's no visual cue. There's no weird colored lock. Nothing. Everything that's different is at the packet level. No one's looking at. You would literally be like Judy Novak watching packets come past to know if there's something funky going on. Yeah, randomly rebooting Mac laptops in the source fire building. that's ever happened, just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, think about it. I mean, that's what we built with the internet today, right? We have this implicit trust that our server's always going to spit back the right one, and so no one's even looking for it. There's not any security device in this field really to look for this. And so I think that's really what these actors are taking advantage of, right? We've got a we've gotten to a point where we're complacent. We just implicitly trust. So you're DNS. saying we need we need what, Craig? DNS sec everywhere? What are we doing? I was gonna say. Well, DNS sec helps until you control the DNS server, right? Yeah, everyone needs to buy Duo. <laughs> uh, they need to give Cisco a big bucket of money. And then turn on two-factor authentication if you have I a see. register account. God, can you just and seriously, that way, Mitch, just call Wendy and have her just I record am. what she wants to say <laughs> and just overwipe everything Craig is talking about? <laughs> so I think that's that's another interesting point, right? Like the fundamental nature of these you know advanced attacks initially was like going undetected, right? Like how can I get in? How can I get my data out? How can I sneak away with it? But with this specific actor, you know, they started out with that maybe in mind, and now they're just operating pretty much completely in the clear openly. Um, well, so it, we'll see where it, it goes. It is interesting. We say, we say that there's no defensive technology for it, and that's, that's, there's certainly no product. I would say now that we know what to look for, um, I know that, that we're not the, uh, for example, I know that we're not the only security organization that's aware of this threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, Lots of people are watching. It's just, I think it makes it that much more interesting um, that that activity is continuing. Man, if if we don't call these guys APT YOLO, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what we've done wrong. <laughs> That's not going in the podcast. No, it's painful. The- <laughs> no. We need we need a DNS. It's, it's not YOLO uh, anymore, Mitch. It's yeet. <laughs> oh, yeah, APT yeet. We yeeted your packets. Oh my god! <laughs> Punch me in the face. Your packets have been yote, son. <laughs> yeah, past hits of yeet is yote. <laughs> oh my god! The same. So I heard I heard that phrase in a stupid. All right, so I'm flying. Uh, I'm flying to Ukraine. Uh, I happen to be in business class, so I'm all reclined back. Happen. It's, yeah, Just it, weird. It, it, it's weird. <laughs> and uh, and I am watching uh, Rainbow Six Siege videos on YouTube that I okay. downloaded because that's okay. how I shut my brain off. Yeah. I just put the dumbest thing into my brain I can. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and they had turned down the lights, and they would blocked out the windows, and it was dark. And everyone else is trying to sleep, and I'm watching this. And this dude <laughs> says... All I'm saying is, if you can convert kinetic energy into thermal energy, how hard do I have to punch this chicken to cook it? And I lost my mind. Valid, valid and question. I'm just roaring, laughing on this plane, and all these other rich people are looking at me like, excuse me, sir, I'm trying to sleep. And and you're, like, you're like, yo, though. 
I'm like, but the chicken. <laughs> Shut up and find me a chicken to punch. <laughs> this is good. We have science Didn't to do. somebody do this calculation? I'm sure somebody did this calculation on the internet. I saw it. I know I did. Someone uh, called what, I did. I did see it. I did see one. And what was interesting was if you punch a chicken hard enough to cook it, you also cook your yes. hand because <laughs> that's that how physics logical. works. <laughs> I mean, but you have two hands. Unless you're the whole thing. That's Craig, also Craig logic, if I have ever heard Craig, it. That is the most Craig of logic. Peak Craig right there. Now I only have one hand, but I also have a cooked chicken. <laughs> and it was on video, so it was awesome. <sighs> do, do we have uh, anything else that we want to throw in on Sea Turtle? Only that I know Wendy's graphic is going to be amazing. I saw the beginnings of it yesterday. I'm pretty happy with it already. That's real talk, Matt. That is like that's let's let's be honest. The most exciting thing about this is seeing what Wendy does with a sea turtle. <laughs> well, hold on. So so um, sorry, Danny. Uh, we like the logo better. You don't have to tell. You don't. You're not telling me anything that I don't completely so, Matt, believe. You because, probably need to tell the story from yesterday that you walked yeah, to my I, I'm hundred percent good. I'm I'm, I'm telling okay. it right now. So I'm I uh, I the way I've grown to do things with a team is I let them write the whole thing up, get it kind of close to where they think it's good. And then, then I look at it and then I tell them it's all wrong and they have to redo the whole thing. So one of the key things that, that, uh, this involves to describe the attack methodology, there, there is currently, or was currently in the paper, a 12, one diagram describing the 12 steps that are necessary to reach the ultimate things. And I'm sitting here looking at this thing and I'm like, this is no. <laughs> and so I call Wendy and I'm like, can I get like a visual like consult? And so she comes down, she looks at it. And she's like, oh, Jesse did this. Um, and so Jesse's uh, one of our new graphic designers. And she so she calls her down and I'm like, OK, well, here's this, this. I'm like and they describe they tell me that it wasn't a PowerPoint presentation. So it kind of makes sense that you could walk through this diagram. But I know what the attack is. And look at this diagram. I didn't know what the hell it was trying to tell me. So I explained to Wendy and Jesse, I'm like, look, you guys are the visual people. We kind of are the we know how it works people. So we're going to have the how we know it works people tell you. And then you're in charge of telling other normal humans how it works using pictures because we can't. Danny comes in and and I'm like, hey, uh, Danny, this is Jesse. Jesse is in charge. <laughs> you two are going to go in a room and you're going to come out with this thing. And Wendy looks at Jesse and goes, this is why we like Matt. <laughs> and so I know we are, we do not do graphics. That is your guys' job. They're amazing at it. We are super appreciative that they're there. And I'm sure whatever they come up with to describe the 12 stage attack that Danny has identified will be awesome. And to, to see more information on that threat model and the victimology and the 12 step graphics Graphic, as well as everything else, check out the uh, the blog post that is. <laughs> Maybe we should just take the twelve step graphic and put it into the blog post or the, uh, the podcast, podcast blog post. Yeah. <laughs> just just It'll be in the notes, and then everybody will be like, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> <laughs> no explanation, just the graphic. Yeah, just just like, the graphic. <laughs> So we want to uh, go back around the table and get a get a closing shot, a, a parting thought from everybody, and we are going to do this in the same order that we did the the open end. So Nigel, that is going to put you up first, sir. We have a, I have a big day on Sunday with uh, Chelsea and Game of Thrones this Sunday, um, and then we're followed by Porto and then Cardiff City and Huddersfield Town. Chelsea and Game of Thrones in the same day. Can you handle it both? I, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I could be, you know, it could be quite, quite the day, I think. Looking forward to it. Joel. What? Parting shot. Let's do it. Closing thought. Man, you know, I'm so glad to be back here and not on the road and recording with you guys. Um, I listened to the last two podcasts and uh, so I'm all caught up. I'm current. I know what's up. And uh, for all of our listeners that have not listened to the last two podcasts, just skip over those. So just don't worry about those. I like how you earlier, I, I, I didn't get a chance to mention it, but I do appreciate how earlier you prompted yourself to say something. Like there's an entire orchestration apparatus in your brain before you say stuff. And I know for a fact you say shit without thinking oh, all the damn time. Costly. No, actually, there is one thing that, that uh, Craig, we, Craig and I received an email earlier this week. 
Um, and it was, Hey, or it was a tweet. I think it was a tweet. And it was like, Hey, can you guys please make fun of this on the podcast? And so uh, I had forgot about it until like midway through this particular podcast. And I wrote it down. And the topic of the, the topic of the article that Craig and I were linked to on Twitter was Bosch refrigerators now with blockchain. Oh yeah. I Did saw you that. that? What? So apparently Bosch is making refrigerators or is going to make refrigerators with blockchain. No, it's true story. With blockchain technology built into them to enable you to select or something. I didn't, I glanced the article. I'm just going to go ahead and preface this, this explanation with that Um, to select what type or how the power that is powering the refrigerator is generated. So if you're mining coins, then you will generate enough heat uh, in the heat exchanger so that you can cool no, down your like food. To cook the kitchen, cook the chicken. To cook yeah. the chicken. Yeah. So you don't have to no, it, it was like, it, it, like oh. I only want to uh, uh, have my refrigerator to be powered by solar energy. Okay. <laughs> See, this is, we're done. No, we're, that's probably a bad we're idea. Done. This... this economy is over we're done we're done we're lining every blockchain enthusiast on the planet up and we're gonna gun them down we're in the streets throw something at your face and then we're gonna find every business person that was like oh blockchain gotta be on that even though i have no idea what the fuck it is they're gonna be gunned down in the streets let me ask a question let me ask you a question why the shit do i need blockchain to participate in green energy you, you don't. No one needs so blockchain make, to participate in anything. When you plug your refrigerator into the wall, you get the electricity that you're provided as f-ing nothing to do with selecting what type of electricity you are provided. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. You guys are missing the two f- things. You can put the word digital ledger and blockchain in the ad. I know. And people this, will that done. is why they're all getting gunned down. <laughs> Everyone who Stop. buys it, you buy one of these Stop. refrigerators in the this. street. I'm done with down. this. So, Craig, it's your whoever turn. tweeted that Next out, thing. Thing. thank Next you. Thing. You're welcome. Yeah, you wrecked this ending of the podcast. Craig, parting uh, shot, closing <laughs> thought. Please make it better than that. You know, I, I think one of the things that I find most concerning is that we see a continued escalation in nation state threats. You know, for me, obviously, WannaCry was a shot across the bow. Not Petya was really the first one to really have, a, I think, a fair to say a global impact in a very negative way. And I'm really concerned with the fact that we keep seeing these type of threats escalate. You know, there needs to be a concerted effort to play well with others on the Internet because otherwise we're going to end up in a very bad place. And I really hope politically we can get together with other leaders around the world and find a way to compromise and make some general rules and guidelines. And, you know, maybe I don't know what the fuck we want to call it, but like some basic online rights that people don't screw with outside of wartime. Um, Because otherwise, because we've done so well with wars and stuff in between the wars that we haven't had. Yeah, dude, it's it's perfectly, perfectly fine. Hey guys, what if we just stored the IP addresses and the domain names in the blockchain? Mitchell? Then we wouldn't You might be onto something. <laughs> hey, just just go to the website and check the SHA two fifty six. It's fine. <laughs> Matt, parting shot, hey, closing thought. We all we all love when uh, like that fingertip catch is made to like save the game or whatever. Absolutely. And so I would like to talk real briefly about Peloton. Oh, yes. And I don't think we've done it on the show. <laughs> okay. But I know that on I know that on the chat we've had at least one discussion about Peloton and all of the memes that have come up about stupid places people put their Peloton bikes. But on Twitter yesterday, Clara Connor let everybody know that she had told her mom that she was considering buying a Peloton and that very like almost immediately she got a letter from her father giving her some advice. And he said, I had heard of the Peloton and concluded that like the use of cocaine, it's another way of God saying people have too much money. It is a ridiculous (laughs) amount of money for such a basic concept as riding a stationary bike. You can ride a bike you own for as long as you want and cut the inevitable boredom factor by listening to podcasts or watching TV or clips of waves on sand. (laughs) The idea of looking at a screen while some cycling pro broadcasts incursions is preposterous. And then his coup de grace. 
I would implore you not to waste precious after-tax income on this latest attempt to encourage social strivers to show that they live at a more rarefied level than the proletariat. (laughs) (laughs) Used your word. Wow. I like it. So. That being said. So. So how many are you going to buy? So a ton of shade at Peloton on Twitter who then responded and said, we would hire your dad for extreme motivational content, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mr. O'Connor, a salute to you. Well done. I know there's a number of uh, internet people looking for a a foster dad to give them life advice. (laughs) And uh, I think you are... You are just the man. And clearly, if you can put it in blockchain, people will pay for it. So that's your business advice. Peloton in the blockchain. No. So wait, wait, before we go. You should probably. You already had a turn. I know. What, Joel? Go. But Star Wars Episode (laughs) Nine is called The Rise of Skywalker. Oh. All right. And the trailer and the teaser are both out. They have dropped while we were recording this podcast. They have indeed. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, it has been, as always, a pleasure to provide you with a little bit of entertainment and a little bit of security education. Uh, Joel, are we sold out yet? I think we might still have a few tickets uh, left for we TTRS. Still have a few tickets left. Probably by the time you get this podcast out, it'll be slim pickings. So. so hurry up and get those now at CiscoLive.com. You can find those. You can also find a blog post with all the details on the Talos blog. We will see you again back here in just a couple weeks. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.